So it, it's a difficult product to make. It's an expensive product to make. So a lot of the times it is, okay, we have something that works and that's it. We're not gonna keep going into, okay, well maybe we'll make it a little bit lighter and do this. It's like, like look, here's an SPF 50, take it or leave it. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to Unpacking Beauty. This is the podcast that answers questions about the science, marketing, and trends in the beauty space. My name is Kelly Driscoll. I am the creator and host, and I'm also a skincare enthusiast on YouTube. Now, if you're into skincare, you know the most important product that you could possibly be using in your routine is sunscreen. Oh yeah, we've been hearing it for years. Wear your sunscreen 24-7, absolutely every single day. Not only is this a product that is going to protect your health because it helps to prevent skin cancer, but it's also a product that helps to protect your youth, if you will. You know, sunscreen does help to protect the collagen structure, which helps to keep our skin firm and lifted. It helps to resist the formation of fine lines and wrinkles. And sunscreen also helps to prevent hyperpigmentation and sun damage on the skin as well. It has a multitude of benefits. It really is, as I said, one of those number one products that absolutely should be in your skincare routine. But Sunscreen is complicated. Finding the very right one for you is really, really hard. There are so many factors that go into making a sunscreen work for you. And as a skincare enthusiast on YouTube, I do get questions all the time about how can I find the perfect sunscreen? Like what's the very best one out there? And my answer to that is always the one that you will joyfully apply every single day because that's the key, right? Sunscreen, you have to wear it every day in order for it to work for you. And yet the textures can be really thick. They can be greasy. Sometimes they don't work well underneath makeup. They start to ball and pill up. Of course, we also have issues of things like white cast. You know, not every single sunscreen, if it has a bit of a cast to it, is going to work for every skin tone out there. There's no such thing as a universal sunscreen. And so I really wanted to tackle this subject because as I mentioned, this is one of the most important skincare products that we use. Being able to have the tools to find the right one is so important. Today, I am so thrilled to welcome Dr. Julian Sass to the podcast. Julian is a sunscreen expert, a formulator, and works in research and development for new skincare products. Julian has created an entire sunscreen database compiled of over 500 sunscreen reviews. So this is an amazing resource for you to use when you're trying to narrow down the perfect sunscreen for you. You can plug in all the different qualities that you love about sunscreen into Julian's database and you'll get some products that are going to fit your needs. This is such an amazing resource because if I haven't mentioned it already, it's super complicated to find that perfect sunscreen that you want to apply every single day. So in today's conversation, not only do we tackle the things that make sunscreen so complicated in the first place, Julian really um, pulls the curtain back a little bit on what goes behind the formulation and the development of sunscreens. We also talk about different ingredients that you might want to look for that aren't zinc and titanium that can cause a cast or white cast in sunscreens. He also shares with us some tips for finding the sunscreen that we feel very comfortable with the level of protection. We trust that what's inside of the bottle is matching up to that labeled protection. We also talk about hyperpigmentation. As I mentioned, this is a condition that can be really helped out with sunscreen. And Julian walks us through his four-step process, the ASTP model for hyperpigmentation and how we can use sunscreen in those four steps and some other brightening ingredients that work really well alongside of it to tackle different concerns with hyperpigmentation. And finally, we dive into the question of representation in the industry, especially in skincare and within science, there is a gap of representation and that's very clear with the sunscreen products that are available on the market today. So we dive into a, a little bit of that. It is quite a complex topic, but that's really what today's question is all about. How can we make sunscreen less complicated? Dr. Julian Sass, welcome to Unpacking Beauty. I am so thrilled to have you here. 
Thank you so much for having me. This is a treat. Big fan for a long time. So thank you so much for reaching out. I'm so excited to be chatting with you today. Oh, thank you. I am definitely excited to jump into all things sunscreen with you because this is like your passion. This is your purpose in life, I feel like. And uh, you have a lot to share with us. So, you know, before we dive into the conversation, I would love it just for those who are listening and watching who maybe aren't familiar with your work, if you can just give us a short introduction to who you are and what you do. Sure. So I'm Dr. Julian Sass. Um, so I come from an academic background. I now work in the beauty industry, in research and development, a little bit of formulation. You're actually sitting in my lab right now. So I have a bunch of materials uh, right behind me and all my mixers and hot plates are all behind you. Um, so I really work on research and development of skincare products. So I'm thinking about formulations, looking at um, raw materials, the actual ingredients, and looking at how we test things to make sure that they're effective and safe and that they work as well. So really just all aspects of the goop in the jar um, is what I do. And in terms of like my social content, I talk a lot about sunscreen. That's really been a passion project of mine, which kind of came really unexpectedly, I think. Um, and now it's very much what I'm known for I'm sure you know I run a sunscreen database that has a lot of sunscreen re reviews on it, just trying to make sunscreen accessible for everyone because I feel like there's a lot of stuff out there. People don't know how to find the right one that works for them. Just trying to get a lot of information out to help people find something that might work for them. So that's that's the nutshell of what I do. Yes. And I um I was watching your your Instagram reel the other day where you were just like saying more like information about who you are and you said that you had a background in musical theater. And I was like, I have a background in theater too. So it's like <laughs> connection. <laughs> I don't know where the pipeline of like theater to skincare and, and sunscreen is, but it's there. <laughs> I have no idea either, but I'm not complaining. <laughs> totally. So let's talk about that sunscreen database project, because this is something that I think is super unique on the Internet. It's a huge resource for people, as you said, who are maybe struggling to find the right product out there for their needs. Can you tell me about how many sunscreens you've added to your database and what are the factors that you consider um, when you're reviewing and adding products into your database? So we just hit 500 oh my sunscreens gosh. <laughs> on the database, which is crazy to me. Like to think that all those things have been on my face <laughs> and I've tested everything. Yeah. It, it's been a lot. It's been a lot. Yeah. Yeah, we've hit 500 on there. And in terms of the criteria, it's all of the things that I feel like people want to know. Like what is the finish like? Does it have a white cast? What's the texture? Um, like, you know, what's the protection? Does it have things against UVA? You know, all of those things that like, consumers want to know about a product before they buy it. But it's hard to just look at a container and kind of know unless it really spells it out, like on the label. It's like, oh, unless it's like, you know, um, matte moment or something like that, you know, <laughs> on the product, then you really don't know about those things. Um, so yeah, finish, white cast, lots of different factors. You know, how, how does it spread? How does it look, look on the skin? You know, all those little things that I feel like is really important to consumers and just like logging them all and saying okay here's my experience with them like I, I feel like it's just me talking about things but just doing it in a very organized mathematical sort of way and it's been a real like labor of love it's been difficult for sure but I have really enjoyed like getting it set up getting it improved and adding things to it all the time yeah, and I think it's so helpful to have everything in one place because you could be interested in one or two products, but then you have to go, you've got like 20 tabs open in your browser and you're like, what's the texture here? This person says that. What's How does it look on this skin tone versus that skin tone? Does it work for yeah. makeup? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. All of those things. And I think for, for me, because when I was thinking about how I wanted to compile all my reviews, I was thinking, okay, do I do a YouTube channel? Because, you know, on YouTube, of course, like things can last a whole lot longer, but it's harder to like search for individual products, especially if you do like yeah. multiple things in one video. Mm -hmm. If I do Instagram, the search on Instagram is terrible, hard to find things on there. And it's just like, okay, and even if you can search it, what if someone isn't looking for like a product and just wants to know, oh, I have dry skin. So I want something that's like really moisturizing and, you know, has this SPF and I just want a, a list of products. So I wanted to think about how to get that done in the most optimal way. It 
is optimal from like a user perspective. Setting it all up was a nightmare. But <laughs> <Yeah>. now, <laughs> now it's definitely just like, okay, just adding things onto it. I think it's, it's in a really good place in terms of how I have everything set up. And I think that that is an amazing resource. So definitely shout out. It's going to be in the show notes. Um, if anybody wants to take that database for a whirl and see if you can narrow down some interesting sunscreens for you. But yes. I would really love to talk about why it's so hard to find a good sunscreen. Um, since you've tried at least 500 of them, <laughs> you've come across greasy textures, eye sting, white cast, pilling. Why is like why is sunscreen so complicated? I mean, that's a really big question, but why is it so hard to find one that works for a majority of people? It's hard because it is a very functional product that has to work a certain way. And a lot of the times when you're, you know, in the lab and the focus is more on getting something that works than something that is elegant. And it's also mm. expensive. So when you have a formula that works, okay, this is SPF 50, great. And you already spent thousands of dollars on going through formula iterations, doing the testing, like testing the sunscreen on, pe on people to get the SPF is thousands of dollars. Yeah. And so once you have something that works, then it's like, okay, now I gotta think about textures. Like, oh, do, do people like this? Like at like when you're thinking about it from a formulation perspective, it's a very functional product. And that's how a lot of brands go into it, saying, okay, this is something that is functional that might not need to be as elegant. I mean, we've all tried those terrible drugstore sunscreens. It's just like, why would anyone ever make this? Like <laughs> this is a horrendous experience. But from their perspective, it just needs to work and function because at least in the US, it's a drug that has to perform mm -hmm. a job and that's the main thing. Now we've kind of seen the, gonna make my term like the skincareification mm -hmm. of sunscreen where now you have brands that are, have these really elegant textures and all those things and sort of incorporating that into their formulation philosophy. And so that has really given rise to lots of much better products. But from a formulation perspective, it's an expensive product to make just because getting all the filters to spread the right way on the skin because and just getting everything to work synergistically is really, really hard. So it, it's a difficult product to make. It's an expensive product to make. So a lot of the times it is, okay, we have something that works and that's it. We're not going to keep going into, okay, well, maybe we'll make it a little bit lighter and do this. It's like, like, look, here's an SPF 50, take it or leave it. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> totally. You know, yeah. and that actually um, makes me think then that we're probably in maybe like a renaissance period for sunscreen, because what you're saying is prior to the last five, 10 years, it's been a functional product that's regulated like a drug. And I think especially in the United States, North America, we do relate to sunscreen as what we use on vacation, right? This is what we put on our body when we're on the beach, which might be a rarity for the majority of us, right? Um, and so it's fine. It's it, it, it We know it's protecting our skin from, from the sun and from our beach days, but we're not necessarily wearing it every single day and as you mentioned that the the explosion of the skincare hobby and popularity and interest I think the consumer demand is now on sunscreens to be more elegant for an everyday rather than a beach day kind of uh, performance and that's new for this market um, so as you were saying like it's so complicated just to make it and now there's these new demands about like the end user experience and and textures and things like that beyond protection in, in your experience testing so many things do you think that that's why um, so many like uh, especially Asian beauty sunscreens seem like they are further ahead than the Western brands are yeah, so I, I talked about this in, in a video, but I think that something that a lot of consumers don't really realize is that the way that people perceive a product working or just how the market thinks a product should work dictates how that product gets made. So as you were saying, we're thinking about our sunscreen usage in the US, it's very beach days. Like we think about thicker textures because people think that thicker means more and more, more protective. Like that's the majority of the world, like of their view on sunscreen. But when you think about in East Asia, where wearing sunscreen on a regular basis is much more common than the consumer demand is for those lighter, more pleasant textures, work well under makeup, work well with the BB creams and the CC creams and all of those things. Like that's what the demand is. Mm. And 
those things are possible, but you have to have a large enough market demand for that in the region where you are to make those products happen. Because in the US, I know like, you know, in our community, we of course have these, okay, we want elegant touches or whatever. But when you think about the people who are running to Walmart to get something to go to the beach, they're not looking for, you know, an elegant fluid sunscreen <laughs> that feels like nothing like that. That's not what they want. And so for us, that's why those Asian sunscreens really do seem like, oh my gosh, they're ahead of the game because that's what we want. Mm. But when you're looking at kind of the, the larger market, the demand isn't yet there. We're getting there, but it's not quite hit the like zeitgeist of, okay, all the big ones now are saying, okay, we need to shift gears and make really elegant formulas because that's just our the way that our culture views sun protection as a whole. So the power of consumer is strong and it's really hard to shift that, you know, opinion, but things are changing slowly but surely. I'm really hoping, <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a hard nut to crack for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. I've definitely seen like a lot of the kind of like boutique-y uh, sort of like independent skincare brands like that are launching at Target or whatever. They all seem like they're coming out with the exact same mineral sunscreen formula. <laughs> I'm like, these are literally the same. <laughs> what is like, why, are, why is everybody sharing the same formula around here? There's nothing different from this brand to this brand to this brand. But I think that that just speaks to we're at this like maybe maybe we're at the beginning beginning of the renaissance but it's still kind of like that like awkward in between period between like functional and then like the aesthetic and like and the experience of it um and it's just still a little bit awkward but we're moving forward um but i think that that is why so many of us have noticed that big gap in um that end user experience when it comes to you know k beauty and j beauty sunscreens versus maybe what we're picking up at target and sephora here in the states yeah and i mean one of the things about you know when you're in a region and you see a lot of those similar products because what some brands will do because sunscreen is so expensive to make is that they will go to a company that has lots of formulas just like ready yeah. and say, okay, I want this one. They'll make some tweaks and say, like, okay, this is going to be your sunscreen. And that is not something that I personally have an issue with because I feel like we want more people to be wearing suns and sunscreen, of course. And it really does kind of limit the uniqueness of a lot of those formulas because these brands are being asked, okay, make this product, but it can be really expensive yeah. to do. And so to have someone say like, okay, here's something that we've already made, tested, done. This is what, what it is. And then you can go forth and you'll make your, make your piece, make it a part of your brand, make it a part of your story. Then that's how we have a lot of these very, very similar formulas that are coming out, which, you know, some people like, some people don't, but it's a really complex nut to crack when you have these pressure from lots of different things to do a certain thing. And it's just, okay, we're doing the best we can with what we have. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense when you kind of have a better understanding of what goes on behind it. <laughs> then I think it's like, okay, I, I get what's going on with this, with this formula or why everything feels similar or why can't I find something good right now here, you know, in, <laughs> in town, I have to order online. I would love to talk to you about white cast because I think that this is the, one of the biggest struggles for so many of us when it comes to sunscreen, I think that's what makes it so complicated is it can make you look ashy. It can make you look like Casper. It, you can get streaks if you have dark hair or beard. It's going to like, you know, like get all caught up in there. And uh, mm -hmm. it's the worst. I cannot tell you how many times I'm like, yeah, this looks fine. And I'll go out and I'll be like shopping or whatever. I catch a glimpse of myself or reflection in the mirror. And I'm like, no, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Like, like people let me like like nobody said anything like why it's like from here it's just so so white and so ashy <laughs> or it's like built up in my eyebrows <laughs> so I would love to talk to you a about white cast and b um talk about some of the more uncommon ingredients that can cause that type of um effect on skin because uh, obviously we know the usual suspects zinc titanium they're going to have a white cast. They have like a white based pigment to them inherently. But are there other ingredients mm -hmm. too that we should look out some sneaky ways um, that we might be able to tell if something is going to look casty on us? 
yeah, it's it's a hard thing. So the, the reason why it happens is, like you said, because there are these materials that are these white powders that have to basically be suspended in the formula. So they're just floating around in the goop, basically. They're not dissolved. They're, they're, just ha they're hanging around. And so when you spread it on the skin, it looks white. And so, yeah, of course, there are the zinc oxide, the, the titanium dioxide. Those are the main things. There are some other sunscreen filters that are not available in the States that, that can cause a white cast as well. Um, and then something that happens more so in the States I've found is with a lot of mattifying sunscreens. So a lot of the ingredients that help to give that really nice matte finish. So like silica is a really popular one. Perlite is, is a, another one. There are also white powders that have to be suspended. And depending on how finely milled that silica is, how it's spread in the formula, when you put that on, you can also get a white cast because I've experienced that with some like chemical sunscreens that, okay, most people's thought is, oh, chemical, no white cast, and, and that's just it. But when I'm putting it on, I'm like, what is happening? And it's something, it's one of those powders that helps it to feel less greasy, which is nice, but then you realize, oh, it's a really large particle size. It's showing up in my hair, in my beard. It's like pooling up in my eyelids. And it's like, oh God, like I got a chemical sunscreen. How could, how could they do this to me? <laughs> yeah. Like I thought I was in the clear. <laughs> and it, it's really, really hard because there are some formulas where it happens and some where it doesn't because the, there are different kinds of silica. There's different shapes, different sizes, all of those things. So it's hard to tell from reading a label that like, oh, this is this is, this is going to be casty versus not. With things that like the zinc and the titanium, those, if those are the, the only filters, I know it's going to be bad, like off the bat. Like I'm, I'm not even attempting. But with <laughs> some of these other like extra ingredients, it's like, okay, this might be good. It might not. And so when I'm thinking about products, like right, right next to me is a whole bunch of sunscreens is I'm thinking about, okay, what could leave a white cast and what I know will not. And the things that could leave a white cast, I have in a separate drawer because those are things that I can't wear when I have to go to work. Yeah. <laughs> and <then> everything <laughs> yeah. else, it's like, oh, it's like, oh, okay. I, and I don't like the, you know, the, the, the people who I work with know, know what I do and it's fine if I, you know, come to work looking absolutely insane, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I don't want to go into a meeting yeah. looking absolutely crazy. Yeah, I, I totally feel that because there's like times where I have to test certain products, especially sunscreens. I'm like, no, but I'm filming later today and I, that's today's not the day because <laughs> I don't feel like <laughs> completely undoing this again, you know, so because you never exactly. know. And sometimes you don't know until you blast a bunch of lights at your face, too. And you're like, uh oh, <laughs> hello. <laughs> exactly. I, you have a light and it's like, oh, no. Oh, no. I yeah. thought it was fine in the mirror. Oh, it's bad. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like it's not it's not uh, casty, but it's like greasy as like all get out and you're like no this isn't I can't do this <laughs> yeah it, it it is an absolute nightmare to just like blind test something I'm like this will be fine this, this looks good and I'm just like oh no I've made a horrible mistake what have I done <laughs> we've all felt that regret <laughs> <laughs> so I would love to talk to you about percentage of the sunscreen filters, because this is something that um, a lot of people wonder, Should is there a certain percentage that we should be looking for on the, the label to know that we're getting the label protection? And I think especially in the last couple of years, as there has been a lot of sunscreens that have been tested and, and found out that they're not really providing the, the protection that's labeled on the bottle. But of course, I mean, this whole conversation is happening because skincare and sunscreen is a lot more complicated than that. Um, but I would love for you to talk about like what sunscreen formulas, like what can you use in the formula that can boost the SPF rating without necessarily increasing the percentage of the UV filters and really just your, you know, hints and tips for finding out, you know, if a sunscreen is going to offer the best protection or the protection that they're claiming on the label. This is hard. This is this is really difficult. This is why it's I'm really asking hard. you. <laughs> <laughs> it's something that that it's really difficult to really know as just as a consumer. So yeah. just getting to the per to the percentage thing. So there is not a percentage that you should be looking for in terms of sunscreen filters, and a lot of people are thinking, oh, if I use ten percent zinc in this product, but then twenty percent in this product that 20% has to be more protective. That's not true at all because there are so many other things that can affect 
how those things work in the formula. So when you're actually working with like, let's just think about um, mineral sunscreens, when you're working with that, you're normally not working with the powder itself. You're normally working with the powder that's been dispersed in some oil or some film forming agent or in some blend of something else. It's called a slurry. It, 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 it looks like white sticky mud. Like is, is how a lot of the bees look. It's not pleasant. <laughs> and depending on what form that you're using, that affects, okay, I can use more of this and get a higher SPF. Oh, I need this much to get this SPF. And depending on how it's spread, I mean, if you think about it, like you're like spreading peanut butter on a sandwich. Let's just say, let's just say that. If you have like the really, like the the chunky peanut butter, and you're spreading that across. You have all these lumps that are across. And so you might have a lot of peanut butter on there, but when it's spread across, you have all these big hunks that are on there and it's not evenly spread across versus the smooth peanut butter where you can spread it across and it goes really evenly nice across the skin. So when you're thinking about kind of how these sunscreens are formulated, depending on how well those pigments, um, how well those filters are dispersed and how they spread on the skin affects how well that protection is going to be because you can use less and have it spread really, really widely and well and get really good protection versus if you're using a high amount, but it doesn't spread really well and it just looks really chunky, you're, you're missing spots and you end up with a lower SPF. So those are things that, that go into all those inactive ingredients that nobody cares about. Those are the things that are really making sure that you're getting that protection. There are also things that reflect light in different ways that, that you can add to ingredients. There's also different coatings of zinc oxide. There's also lots of ways that you can shape zinc oxide to have it reflect light in, in, in different ways. That's also going to affect how much actual sunscreen filter that you need to use versus just okay, we just need to put 25% zinc, uh, zinc oxide into this cream, mix it up, and here you go. Like, it, it really is a holistic process that has lots of different things that go into it when you're looking at, you know, how much do I need to, to use in this? So it's really, really hard to tell. Now, in terms of being able to know, okay, when I look at a bottle, am I actually getting the protection that I'm getting? there's really no way to know. And it's really, really frustrating. So different countries have different regulations about this. But you know, when you're making a sunscreen, at least in the States, in your first couple of like massive batches, you have to get that batch tested with SPF testing. So it's like, okay, you're getting consistent protection every single time that you make it. Mm. That's expensive. And everywhere has different regulations when it comes to that. But you know, when you're making something, you know, in a lab versus like in a big vat, you know, if you think about if, if you're you know making something in a huge, huge vat and you, you know, whoever's manufacturing it puts in a little bit less of this filter or a, a little bit more of this, all those little small changes or like if the water supply changes or all these little, like all these small things, all those things can compound and impact the SPF of the product that you are using, which is crazy. So there's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes to make sure that, okay, what we're making is consistent and each batch is going to give the protection that it says. So it's really hard to tell. I wish I could give like a, oh, if it has this on it, then it's reliable. If it doesn't have this, then it's not. Um, one thing that I personally look for is water-resistant sunscreens. So water-resistant sun sunscreens have to go through a little bit more testing to make yeah. sure that the SF is really what it says that, that it is. Because when you're just looking at you know, regular so sunscreen, you put it on the backs of people, they're blasted with UV, then the SPF is measured. But with water-resistant sunscreens, you, you put it on the backs, they get dunked into water, they come out, dunked into water, come out multiple times, and the SPF is tested again after that. So with regular SPF testing, it's more like a one and done, but with water resistant, it's a multiple like process. So it has to go through a, like really the ringer. Now, of course, if you don't like the texture of water resistant, water resistant sunscreens, that's difficult. But if you're, if there's like one tip I could say, if you're concerned about something not being an SPF that you might think it is, opt for something water resistant because those do just by nature of how they work, more testing and there's more checks to say, okay, this is actually giving you this protection, water resistant for this amount of time, because what happens is the protection can only go down by a certain per percentage in order to be called 
water resistant. So it's like, okay, it was tested here and it's only gone down by this much after, you know, 80 minutes in a hot tub, then okay, this is probably gonna give that high protection. So upper water resistance, if you really wanna make sure that you're getting that labeled protection. That's actually amazing advice. I think that, yeah, of course, like we can't know. And I just had a conversation with Judith from InkyDecoder.com talking about what you can tell from an ingredients list. And it's amazing how Mm -hmm. much you can't tell. And this is one of those situations where, you know, you can know the ingredients, but you can't know the quality, how the ingredients been treated, where it's been sourced from. And if you don't, and even if you do have a chemistry background, but even if you don't, you can't know how all of those ingredients react and interact with each other and how it all comes together. We're just, just a list of ingredients is never going to tell us that, um, which is frustrating as a consumer. Um, but I think it also helps us to, to understand that there's maybe some other ways that we can feel more comfortable about the sunscreen we're choosing, knowing about the additional testing with water resistant rated sunscreens, so important. And I think many of us are often using um, non-water resistant sunscreens for water resistant activity, what should be a water resistant activity, right? <laughs> so um, it's important to, to know that there is an extra level of testing there, that they can be more protective um, just because of the testing, but also because they're adhering to your skin a little bit better too. So if you're sweating, if you're active, of course, if you're by water, th- that should be your natural choice anyways, because they have been really put through the ringer. And I think that actually makes sense why so many Korean sunscreens are not labeled with water resistance because that extra step in testing, especially for those indie brands, they just can't afford to do that extra step a lot of the times. Yeah, it's it's a lot. So it's a really great insight, A, to get a better understanding of like the choices that brands are making with their sunscreen products, but also on the other end, if we're looking for the most protective, we need to be looking for that water resistance too, which is super helpful. 100%. So let's talk about hyperpigmentation because this is something that you educate a lot on in your content. And of course, we know that sunscreen is one of those first lines of defenses when it comes to um, preventing hyperpigmentation, but also if you're working on fading it, massive protection to help you accelerate your results. You have a really easy to understand model for the very complex process of melanin creation. So can you walk us through your ASTP model and can you share like what skincare ingredients can work at each of the four steps? This is a deep cut. I feel like I haven't <laughs> talked about this in, 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 in a while, but yeah, I, I posted about this first, like, you know, a couple of years ago, I feel like, and I just yeah. wrote, just brought it back. But yeah, it, it it's a complicated process, but you can really break it down into four key steps. So what happens with pigmentation is that your pigment cells are activated. So that's the A step. Once those pigment cells get activated, then those pigment cells start to actually produce the pigment. So that's the synthesis step. That's the S. Then once that pigment is produced, then it gets transferred to upper layers of the skin. That's the T. And then once it's transferred to the upper layers of the skin, then you actually start to see that pigment show. So that's the P. That's the the, the pigment. And so when you're thinking about dealing with, with pigmentation, getting something that hits everywhere in that pathway can really help your results a lot. It's not going to be like, oh, this is my cure. I'll I'll never have dark dark spots ever again, but it helps to slow down that process. So when it comes to the activation, so pigment cells can get activated in lots of different ways. So sun damage is a really big one. There's also different hormones that can activate it. There's a trauma to the skin that can activate it. So depending on where your pigmentation comes from, there's different kinds of products that can help with that. So if you're thinking about like, Sun damage, obviously sunscreen. Like sunscreen is the best product that's going to help with the activation step straight up, hands down. But for example, if you're getting like post-acne dark marks, dealing with your acne is going to help those pigment cells not be activated because, okay, you're not getting that trauma to the skin that's activating those pigment cells. And there are also some other um, newer peptides, also tranexamic acid, um, as well as something else that helps with that activation step. So so sunscreen is my go-to product for that activation step, but there are some other things that can also help as well. Then for that synthesis step, so these are the most popular brightening ingredients, the things that are, you know, that tyrosinase inhibition. So that's the things we're thinking about, the kojic acid, the alpha-arbutin, the ascorbic acid, 
um, oh God, licorice root. There's there's so many ingredients that that cover in that kind of tyrosinase inhibition realm. So when you're looking at a product for hyperpigmentation, it probably has one, if not many, of those tyrosinase inhibiting kind of kind of products in there. Then for the transfer step, when you're getting that pigment and it transfers to the upper layers of the skin, the most popular ingredients that can do this, one is niacinamide, like niacinamide is in everything. Um, now niacinamide is a really, really popular way to do that, but also retinoids also help a lot with that, that, with that transfer step. So having those two helps a lot when it comes to preventing that pigment transfer to upper layers of the skin. And then in dealing with the actual pigment, that's where there's the retinoids, of course, that help with that skin cell turnover. There's also exfoliants, thinking about your glycolic, lactic, and mandelic acid that helps to kind of accelerate that, that, that skin cell turnover. And so when you're thinking about the whole kind of like ASTP process, you can really get a long way with sunscreen every day, a retinoid that you can tolerate every day, and if you're feeling fancy, like a targeted brightening serum. Hmm. But with just that, you've really built like a really good like anti-pigmentation regimen that doesn't have to be super complicated. You have to have, oh, I got to have 18 different products. Like it doesn't need to be that complicated. Like if you're looking for a couple of those key things that you can use on a consistent basis, that can help you a lot when it comes to pigmentation, but it's also just a really difficult problem to treat because the actual pathway is so complicated. How do people deal with it? It is different. You know, if you have melasma, that's a whole separate thing. There's just so much that goes into it. And it's why for so many dermatologists, it's a really popular thing to, okay, do I need to get a peel? Do I need to do laser? There's so many treatments that you can do, but in terms of home care, there are things that you can do, but if you're not seeing results from those things, talking to a doctor and being like, hey, here's what I'm like, here's what I'm struggling with. Here are the products that, that I'm using. What can I do? And getting that professional intervention can be really, really helpful. Yeah, I think it's so important to remember the sunscreen is like that first line of defense. And that's really why I was so interested to talk to you about this because um yeah, of course, we know sunscreen is going to prevent the fine lines and wrinkles, the collagen breakdown. But I think for a lot of us, too, maybe we are struggling with hyperpigmentation or an uneven skin tone. And so it's so helpful to remember that sunscreen can actually um, prevent that very first activation step from even occurring. Um, but mm-hmm. also learning that there's other ingredients that can be used at, at those steps that can also help as well. So I think, like you said, it is a complicated um, thing and it's different for everybody. And depending on what's triggering it, the way that you treat that's going to be different. Acne is different than melasma, you know, triggered by hormones, which is, you know, different than an inflammatory event or a trauma to the skin. So knowing that is obviously very helpful for everybody's individual journey, but just remembering that sunscreen is a part of that arsenal for hyperpigmentation and that it is Mm -hmm. like that first line of defense is super helpful because sometimes it's hard to put sunscreen on every single day. (laughs) A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But it helps, it helps to remind you that, especially if you are struggling with hyperpigmentation, So I would love to talk about the gap uh, of representation within the industry because the work that you're doing with your sunscreen database, I think, of course, it helps make sunscreen less complicated. It makes finding a sunscreen that works for you um, very easy. But I think that there's also another level to that work in the fact that you are looking for sunscreens that are going to work for skin of color. And that's just not something that seems to be a priority um, in the sunscreen world. And that's what I'm saying when I say a gap in representation is I feel like that's just not a, a concern for a lot of people who are behind the scenes creating sunscreens. So, you know, I mean, we're talking about like casty sunscreens, but we're also talking about limited shade ranges within makeup and those universal tints on um, mineral sunscreens, which <laughs> I'm not sure who those work for. <laughs> And of course, I mean, there's an issue of non-inclusive research and testing for skin of color when it comes to sunscreens. So really, I mean, like, does it have to be this complicated? Do we really need to have this big gap in the industry? I'd really love to hear from your perspective as somebody who works in research and development. um, You know, what can we do to close this gap when it comes to sunscreen and skin of color? Yeah, it's, it's, again... It's a lot. It's a really complex problem um, to solve. And I think that 
a lot of it has to do with kind of representation at all levels kind of in the industry, because I know, you know, we're thinking about like people on the brand side who are kind of, who are our interface with the industry, of course. But, you know, when you're in it, you're thinking about the formulators, you're thinking about the people who are in product development, you're thinking about the people who are actually developing raw materials and doing those tests, the people who we're never going to see, we're never going to meet, we're, we're never going to meet those people. And by having more inclusivity from the beginning and then seeing how that trickles up to the brands, like that's how a lot of that change happens, yeah. but it's hard. We're again, making changes, but it's very, very slow essentially. And when it comes to kind of the, the inclusivity piece, I think that for, especially when it comes to makeup, it's really, really hard is that it's, it can be expensive to be inclusive sometimes, mm -hmm. which is really frustrating because you know i think that we like since you know we had the the fenty craze has changed the world of makeup and yeah. now there's like a new standard that's been set for you know the fenty beauties the rem beauties um all these big brands that have lots of money behind them and can do this massive shade range and do all of this testing and really have that inclusivity happen um but that is a hard process because when you're thinking about it, you know, from an R&D perspective, each one of those products has to be tested separately, formulated separately. You have to buy a certain amount of them um, in order to, you know, meet all of your of your your targets and it's really a complicated process to have okay, like if you have 60 like 60 shades of this product, that's so much money. Yeah. that goes into that to have something like that that is really really inclusive but at the same time we like we we, we see you know these really uninclusive shade ranges where it's like okay here's 16 shades of porcelain and then the one for medium and then the one for dark and it's like oh that's that's not great and when you're thinking about it from a purely business perspective, it's like, okay, if a company mostly caters towards like people of a lighter skin tone, that's where they're gonna that's where they're gonna put a lot of their money into targeting that group. Yeah. But the problem with that is that you are intentionally or not kind of really inhibiting new people from discovering that product by not caring towards those people as well. But then you're, but you're thinking, okay, but if we don't already have those people, can we justify buying, you know, 25,000 foundations mm -hmm. in, you know, cocoa, mocha, and latte, whatever, um, that are, that, that are going to be there if the market isn't there to buy it. So it's a really like, damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, if we do, and we put all this money into this, will it be worth it? But if we don't, now that we're in this range of like inclusivity being it should be like a bare minimum when it comes to these products then it's like okay then how do we combat that what do we say to people who say oh i want to try this oh but i can't it's not in my shade range and then when it comes to sunscreen it's even more complicated because with makeup it's like okay we have to get this certain kind of like color payoff and that's the thing but with sunscreen, it also has to work as a sunscreen, which is really, really, which is really hard. So, okay, I have right here a product. I'm not going to show what the brand is, but <laughs> a universal tinted sun, sunscreen. And I don't know <laughs> who, who, um, whose skin is this color? The Simpsons. But like the. <laughs> <laughs> honestly like it it's just like in what universe is this universal like the, the, this is but this is bananas yeah. and you know for me especially because i'm applying like the right amount that you need to get the label spf this looks crazy on yeah. uh, on me and so again for for things like this this comes down to okay people who have darker skin tones are not in these rooms when these things are being developed because if anyone who looks like me got this and was just like okay no we got an accent no this is this is not inclusive and it's it's bananas and you know having something that works really well for for, for sunscreen is really 
okay, when you're looking at mineral stuff, you either have to, you know, use a nano zinc or a micro zinc or something that is like as sheer as you can get it. You have to do that. You have to do some kind of universal tint and you end up with things like this that always have that yellowish kind of undertone, which never look great on anybody. Or you have to go the like foundation route where you have multiple shades of a tinted sunscreen and making a sunscreen is expensive enough and you have to do different shades yeah. of, of that. And that is going to add to that cost. And again, it's that thinking about, okay, if we invest all this money, will it be worth it? Or are we just going to be throwing money down the drain? So it's, it's a hard nut to crack and depending on the business, it's like, okay, are we going to take this risk or are we going to say, hey, we don't have this but either we're working on it or just realizing it's like, hey, this is who we're marketing for and that's just it. And just like doubling down on that because I feel like I'd rather have a brand, to be honest, say, hey, this is who we're marketing for. Like, I know that none of the tone-up sunscreens from Korea or Japan are made for me. Like that, that I'm I'm not the market. And to me, that's fine. But it's like, okay, either we just say, hey, this is not for that group then have them say, oh no. Like, cause I think it's something that, that we've always seen is like, oh, this was just a proof of concept. We just wanted to like see people liked it and things like that. And it feels like we are an afterthought. And that is like even worse, I think, than being like, oh, we thought about you, but you're like in round two. And it's like, <laughs> okay, like, I, and I don't feel like taken care of or like thought about or considered as a consumer. So yeah. it's really, really hard. It's really, really hard. And there, there's not a perfect solution. It really just, okay, what makes sense for this brand at this time? But when we have things that are coming out that are being called universal and it looks like this, like we, we have a problem. <laughs> yeah. You definitely need to take care when making a claim like that, because yeah. I mean, proof is right there. And I do see a lot of what you, everything that you just said makes so much sense. And like, I, we're sophisticated enough to understand that like consumerism and like capitalism runs everything. So at the end of the day, it has to be something that makes sense with the money that you're spending and the money that you're projecting to get back from it, right? Your profit. Mm -hmm. So that totally makes sense. But at the same time, I also feel like there's so much defensiveness for not including those folks in the room to begin with, you know, and if that's yes. not who you're marketing to fine, but I I've seen it towards you, especially I I've seen people like, wasn't there a brand owner? We're not going to say any names, but like, didn't somebody say that you put too much sunscreen on and that's why you were getting a white cast. And if you just like pulled back on that amount, then you would get the, the, the result that they're claiming that you're supposed to get. Yeah, that is something that I get a lot um, that, oh, I'm applying too much. And I think that, you know, when most people think about putting on sunscreen, it's like the little dab on the finger, you know, you, <laughs> you put it on and, and yeah, like, and, yeah. and like, that's, the, that's it. But, you know, for me, like, I know exactly how much sunscreen I need to use for my face. I know the surface area of my face because sunscreen is tested at a very specific weight per square centimeter of skin. So I know exactly how much I need to put on. Like, it, it's been a lot. Like, I've got this down to a science you have, at this point. You have taped every square inch of your face. <laughs> you know <laughs> how much you need. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, I, I know how much that, that I need to be, to, to be using. And so... And when, when people think about that, like when sunscreen's going through, you know, testing, at no point in the testing process does it have to be elegant or nice or look good. It just needs to work. Mm. And so when you're coming from that perspective and, you know, I put something on and it's like, oh, I put too much on, you know, a lot of people have gotten defensive. I, I know that there are brands who curse my name in product, <laughs> in product development because like, hey, this looks terrible on darker skin tones, but you say that, that this works for everyone, but like it doesn't when you're yeah. using the amount that you're supposed to be using. And I think that shifting that mindset of like, okay, this is how much that you need to be wearing. And so, yeah, I, I mean, when you apply only this tiny, tiny amount, of course, it's going to be universal when this is going across your entire face. But when you're applying the amount that you actually need to get the SPF that you, that you listed on the label, then it's more than that. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people think that I'm just trying to trash brands and I'm really not like, I want everyone to make good products, but at the same time, it's like, okay, 
when it's being used the way that it's supposed to be used, this is not living up to the claim that you have made. Yeah. And that's not, that. that's very objective. And that's it. Yeah. Dr. Julian says, don't ask him if he's tried black girl sunscreen. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you tried this thing? I get that question. <laughs> I get that question all the time. And I, and I am, I am sure that you have experiences because, you know, when you're, when you're reviewing products, like this is what you do. It's like, oh, have you tried this? Have, have you tried this? And it's just like, guys, like, I know what works well for me. And it's like, when you're giving like something like not a great review, it's like, oh, yeah. but like, why are you trying this? And it's just like, th th this is what I do. Like I'm testing things out. I saw a really good comparison comparing it to like food bloggers and like food re reviewers. Like if they have a meal that they don't like, it's like, this person knows what kind of food that they like. Yeah. But they're reviewing it because they're like, they're all trying to get, you know, the lay of the market. Like I have a whole cabinet of sunscreens that work really, really well for me, but I'm testing others and so you know whenever i have those reviews i get comments like oh you gotta try black girl sunscreen it's like guys i've tried everything they make <laughs> I've done it. a lot of good stuff so don't worry <laughs> like i'm just reviewing things to help you all make more informed purchases because like black girl sunscreen is not for everybody it's like any product is not for everyone and i right. just want to give people options yeah <laughs> yeah it doesn't have to say black girl on it for it to be for black people like you know what i mean like there's more out there <laughs> we can well, there yeah, is more exactly. and that is part of what you do it but you also test for everybody so i think it also goes back to what you said earlier about the consumer demand on sunscreen to be more elegant more easy to use more every day what you're doing is the same thing you're saying let's let's you know say hey this is not a universal tint let's do a little bit better let's um let's try to see if we can't make this more elegant let's try to see if we can can't make this more casty i'm going to point out what is like that so that you know consumers aren't wasting their time and money if that's not going to work for them so i think it's just the exact same thing it's just we're putting that pressure on the market to do better because as consumers we want better products and to just throw like oh you're putting too much on or oh just try this other brand that's not helpful to the conversation right yeah exactly like it it, it does not move us forward yeah. at all yeah like i mean like thinking about you know when Supergoop launched on the scene and unseen sunscreen took everyone by storm and it's just like wait what sunscreen could be like this <laughs> yeah. like, like the, the, the whole time and that really was one of the big shifts that started it's like okay wow we can have these really nice formulas and it doesn't have to be this really terrible stuff but yeah i mean i i obviously like i work in the industry like i understand how hard it is to get these products out the door i yeah. know how much work that that it takes but at the same time it's, you have to understand that like doing the bare minimum is just not going to cut it for lots of consumers. And they're going to be really unhappy with the experience that you have provided. And it's just like, listen, I'm just one person. You might have lots of people who love it. There are people that there are some lovely light-skinned blonde people who send me mineral sunscreens every single day. And I'm just like, I'm so glad that that works for you. It yeah. will not work for me. But if you like it, wear it every single day. But it's not going to work for me. And that's fine yep. and i i feel like a lot of people kind of think oh you're just trashing this whatever it's like no like if you've tried mineral stuff because even when i'm putting things on my skin i'm thinking okay how bad is this like is this fully like white paint this will not look good on anybody or it's like okay on me this isn't great but you know sometimes i'll use my fiance as a guinea pig it's just, okay how well does this work on your much lighter skin tone okay this is a, this is actually good good for him okay this will be great for lighter skin tones because i don't want anyone who like works at these brands to read this and go oh he just hates us it's like no right. like it's just it didn't work well for me this is the cast this is the cast potential on my skin tone but even things that are really casty can work really well for someone who has really really light skin and that's great but sometimes things are just a really unpleasant experience yeah. and that's just it. <laughs> yeah
It's like we should accept the limitations of the product, but we shouldn't be accepting the limitations of what goes on behind that product in a way. You know, it's like we know that sunscreen has limitations. It's not going to be the word universal probably should never be used when it comes to describing a sunscreen in any, uh, you know, way, shape or form, because it's just never going to be like that. But behind the scenes, there are limitations that I believe have been self-imposed just because of the structure of our society. And that is where we shouldn't be accepting the limitations to say, hey, this isn't marketed towards me. Fine. But let's question why we don't have anybody on these teams behind these products that aren't saying, can we do better? Can we do more? Can we be more representative? Exactly, exactly. It's it's a really frustrating thing. And I know that we haven't gotten into it. But now that there's such a like really rise of mineral sunscreens, and how that now leads into like just a lack of inclusivity with those products. And it's just like, okay, that it feels like there's a really easy tie in there. Because I, I feel like so many people are just like, oh, it's so easy, just use mineral or whatever. But I've talked to so many people who have skin like darker than me who are just like, who've gone through a very similar process of, okay, I want to use this US chemical sunscreen. But you know, this group told me it's going to cause cancer, hurt my baby, all of this stuff. And so then I use mineral, but then I I can't wear it. Like it it looks so terrible. So I feel like I just shouldn't bother. And it's like, okay, you've gone through this whole thing and now you're not even wearing it. And it's just like, because consumers are now being made to feel so afraid of products and things that have years of safety data behind them. And it's like, oh, well, now now this is going to be harmful to me. And then this does not cater to me. So then I'm just not gonna bother at all. We, as you know, the science community, the science communicators can educate until we are blue in the face, but there's gonna be a point. It's just like, hey, I just don't wanna use chemical sunscreen because you know, it stings my face or my eyes sting or what, or, or whatever. And this again, t- t- ties into getting the diversity and the inclusion at every level in the industry because if we're able to innovate to a point where like oh we have this mineral sunscreen with this very very minimal white cast and making formulas that are accessible and it's like okay you don't have to make that compromise it's like Mm -hmm. oh we have this really you know elegant mineral sunscreen when it'll be made who knows i haven't found it but when you when we have these really nice mineral formulas it's like okay we are taking into account all the fear mongering that may not be accurate, but we're also making a formula that is really accessible and inclusive. And so people aren't as scared, but it's a, it's a whole long complicated thing that has so many, so many moving parts. Right. Yeah. And I so appreciate you sharing your perspective, especially from the research and development side, because it's always been my suspicion that like it's, it's the behind the scenes, it's the, it's the testing, it's the, the concept of the product before it even like gets up on the formulation that, that that's where it starts, you know? And I think that there are, like I said, there's limitations that are acceptable and then there's, there's self-imposed limitations that don't need to be there. And I think it's time for us to start looking at the self-imposed limitations behind the scenes and start questioning, um, why is that a limitation? Because it probably doesn't exactly, exactly. Well, thank you so much for this amazing conversation. I feel like I just want to go like, boom, 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 more, 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 more. <laughs> but <laughs> maybe season two, um, not yes. for today. Um, I so appreciate your time and sharing your wisdom with us. And I would love it if you can just share where uh, listeners and watchers can connect with you um, and find your sunscreen database and learn from you more. Sure. So my handle is Scamander14. That's S-C-A-M-A-N-D-E-R number one, number four. Um, my database is at Scamander14.com. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter sometimes. I'm on threads never. Um, and I'm I'm all over the the, the internet. Um, I have a TikTok. I don't post there because TikTok is a lot for me. <laughs> Same. So, but that is where you can find me. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much. Thank you.
What an amazing conversation and a fantastic way to end season one of Unpacking Beauty. I can't believe we've come to the end already. And I have to say a big, big thank you to you. You make this show possible. Your support, your listens, your watches, your thumbs up, your rating with stars, your written reviews. You don't even understand. Not only your support, it means so much to me on a personal level because this is a project that is so important to me, but it is support that has absolutely allowed this show to grow and has allowed me to get such amazing expert guests for you. I am so excited about the creation process of season two. I am excited to come back bigger and better than ever. So in this hiatus period, I would love it if you would continue to listen, to watch, to rate with stars. If you haven't written a review yet, please take a few moments to write a few sentences about how you're enjoying the show and what you look forward to in the future with season two. Although you won't be getting me in your feed regularly for a little bit this winter, I'm still available on all platforms, on podcasts. I'm available on YouTube. If you haven't watched the conversations, it's kind of a different experience. Experience. And hey, vice versa, listening to the conversations when you're on the go, commuting to work, doing the dishes can really bring a new element to the show. So please continue to support the show during this break. And I do want to hear from you as I'm working on season two. Who do you want to see on the podcast? What questions do you want me to unpack? Let me know. Get in touch in the show notes everywhere that you're listening or watching. I have a link to where you can leave me a voicemail. I'll feature your voice on the show. If you want to get in touch through Spotify, answer the Q&A. And if you're on YouTube, drop your suggestions in the comments below. I want to keep hearing from you because this is a show that I create for you, with you. So please let me know all of your thoughts so we can come back bigger and better for season two of Unpacking Beauty coming out early spring of 2024. A big thank you to all the guests who shared their time with us this season and their knowledge. And again, a big thank you to you who make this show possible. I could not have done it without you. You are so amazing. You are so beautiful. I will talk to you soon in season two of Unpacking Beauty. Bye.